When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sunday Showcase, highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance. It's a scary night for another Mutual Presents. Luckily, I've got Penny here to protect me as we take a trip for the Mysterious Traveler's double feature of The Queen of the Cats and Death Laughs Last. So let's wind back those clocks and start the show. Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and terrifying. I hope you will enjoy this little trip that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves. But where are we going? We're going to delve into the life of a frightened man in a tale titled The Queen of the Cats. Some years ago, when I was practicing medicine, I was called upon by a young girl of 22 or so. As she was shown into my office, I could see that she was having a, a difficult time suppressing her agitation. Her lips trembled as she spoke. Dr. Smith, my name is Jane Elliott. I have an appointment with you. Yes, Miss Elliott. Uh, won't you be seated, please? Thank you. Now, what seems to be the trouble, Miss Elliott? You're trembling you don't look well at all. I'm not ill, Doctor. It's Chris. Chris Arnold, my fiancé. Oh, Doctor, you've got to help him. If you don't, something terrible will happen. Well, I'll do everything I can, Miss Elliot. Now, tell me what's wrong. I, well, I don't know what's wrong. All I know is that Chris is frightened. He's in deadly fear of something. Has he told you... Uh... What it is that frightens him? No. No, I've questioned him countless times, but he refuses to tell me. I see. Where is your fiancé now? At his home, Brookfield Manor. Oh, doctor, I, I, I know it's late, but won't you come with me and see Chris? He needs help desperately. There, there, Miss Elliot. You mustn't cry. Of course I'll come with you. And I'll do what I can. Just a minute. Jane, I've, I've asked you before not to... Who, who's he? 
Darling, this is Dr. Smith. Doctor, this is my fiancé, Chris Arnold. How do you do, Mr. Arnold? Why the devil did you bring him? I don't need a doctor. Please, darling, I, I just couldn't stand Forgive to me, see Mr. It. Arnold, but it's obvious to the most untrained eye you do need a doctor. Please, Chris, tell the doctor what you're afraid of. I'm not afraid of anything. Oh, darling, please tell him, please. You can't go on this way. Yes, yes, you're right. I can't go on this way. If I don't tell someone, I'll go mad. Believe me, Mr. Arnold, you'll feel much better once you've talked your fears out. Now, um, suppose you start from the beginning and tell me everything. All right, Doctor. Come on in. I, I suppose it all began two years ago at a party Jane and I were invited to. It's a wonderful party. The only thing wonderful about it is you. <laughs> oh, Chris, don't. People are watching. Oh, fine thing when a man can't kiss his best girl in public. What's his generation coming to, anyway? At Miss Tyndall's school, we were taught a young lady never kisses a man in public. Miss <laughs> Tyndall is setting romance back 50 years. Who are you looking for, anyway? Rana Farouk. My roommate is at Miss Tyndall's. Oh, oh, yeah, she's... She's the Egyptian girl you were telling me about. Yes, I want you to meet her. Only you better not fall in love with her as every other man does. Mm. Sounds as though she's a second Cleopatra. Men just can't seem to be able to resist her. Mm. Well, I'm curious to see this siren of the Nile. Oh, there she is, Chris. Come on. So that's Rana. No wonder men can't resist her. Hello, Jane. I've missed you. Rana, this is Chris Arnold. Chris, this is Rana Farouk. Hello, Chris. Hello, Rana. Oh, look, there's Miss Tyndall waving to me. Excuse me, won't you? Of course, Jane. I'll be back in a minute. <laughs> you know, Chris, at Miss Tyndall's, the first thing I'd see in the morning when I got up, and the last thing before I went to bed was your picture. And I always knew that someday we should meet. And now we have. Why are you staring at me like that? Aren't you going to say anything? I prefer just to look. Even now, Doctor, two years after our first meeting, I find it difficult to describe how beautiful Rana was. She had lustrous black hair that came down to her shoulders and sparkling green eyes that bewitched you. No words can do her beauty justice. I was captivated the moment I saw her. I see. What happened after that first meeting? Rana seemed also attracted to me. After that night, we saw each other constantly. You did? Nothing seemed to matter to me when I was with her. It made me indescribably happy to learn she felt the same way. A month after we'd met, we were married. Mm. Please go on, Mr. Arnold. After we were married, we took an apartment in town. In the months that followed, I began to see Rana not as the image I'd been infatuated with, but as she really was, vain, selfish, and possessive. It was a possessiveness verging on madness. She couldn't bear to have me out of her sight, and when I was upon my return, there would be questions, countless questions. I began to dread seeing her, and then... Then there were the cats. The cats? Yes. 
She had an insane passion for them. Yes, when Ronna and I were at school together, Doctor, she always had a few cats around. She said that she couldn't live without them. The apartment them. was always full of cats. She'd sit for hours stroking them, whispering to them until I felt I'd go mad. Life became a nightmare for me, a nightmare full of cats. And Rana asking questions, endless questions. One day, I realized I couldn't go on living with her any longer. That our marriage had been a mistake. I decided to tell her about it that very evening. May I come in, Rana? Of course, dear. Rana, there's, there's something important I want to talk to you about. Oh, please, Chris. There's so little time just now. We can talk later after the party. But, Rana, this is important. I think that... Darling, whatever you have to say can wait. Now, please hurry. But, but... Well, well, all right. We'll discuss what I have to say later. Chris, when I called you at the office this afternoon, why didn't you tell me that you had had lunch with Mary Walker? What? How did you know I had lunch with her? Oh, a friend told me. A friend? Who was it? What is it, my beauty? What are you trying to say? Rana, put that cat down and answer me. Who was the friend that told you I had lunch with Mary Walker? You have never met her, darling. How is it that you always know what I've been doing, whom I've been seeing? It's as though you have people spying on me. Chris, what a thing to say. Now, please hurry or we'll be late. There's something strange about the way you always know what I've been doing. Sometimes I suspect... Chris, look out. You've stepped on Sabina's tail. I'm sorry, but I didn't see it. I've asked you before to be more careful. Poor Sabina. Are you all right now, my beauty? If there weren't so many cats underfoot, I wouldn't have stepped on her. Why must you have five cats around? Because I love cats. They're beautiful, sacred. Thousands of years ago, my ancestors worshipped cats. And the great cat goddess Sekonet. On the river Nile, close by the ancient city of Hamadi, where I was born, are the graves of a hundred thousand sacred cats. They have been mummified and buried with reverence. Uh, Rana, I can't go on like this anymore. My darling, what do you mean? I feel our marriage was a mistake. I want a divorce. Chris, you can't be serious. But I am. I love you, Chris, and I won't give you up. You're mine, darling. You always will be. Nothing shall ever separate us. Would you care for a cocktail, sir? Uh, no, no, thank you. Well, even if you won't have one, Mr. Arnold, I will. Jane, Jane, <laughs> it's good to see you again. Just let me look at you. Chris, you're... you're not looking well at all. Are you all right? I am now. But Jane, Jane, can't we go someplace and talk? What about the terrace? All right, Chris. Here, this door opens onto it. There, this is much better. It's been quite some time since we've seen each other, hasn't it? Yes, the last time we saw each other was the night that... The night that I met Rana. Yes. How is Rana, Chris? Oh, she's... she's fine. We... Jane, I've made such a mess out of everything. I was a fool to have married her. Please, Chris, you mustn't talk like that. But I was a fool, Jane. Mistaking infatuation for love. Can you ever forgive me for the way I behaved toward you? There's, there's nothing to forgive, Chris. Well, Jane, this is a surprise. Rana. Hello, Rana. 
Really, Jane, the way you've avoided calling on us, I half suspect you are still in love with Chris. Mona, you have no right to talk to her like that. Uh, please, Chris, I, I'm afraid I'll have to be leaving. It's getting quite late. Good night. Good night, Jane. I hope I didn't interrupt anything by coming out here so unexpectedly, Chris. Yes, Ronnie, you did. I was about to tell Jane that I love her and that I always will. I suppose that's why you asked me for a divorce. You've been secretly seeing her. Secretly seeing her? Is it possible for me to see anyone or do anything secretly without your knowing about it? No, you are quite right. It is not possible. I know everything you do. So I would forget Jane if I were you. Uh, Rana, how can you possibly want me? Knowing how I feel about Jane, you've got to give me a divorce. I'll never give you a divorce. Never. Do you hear? You're mine. You always will be. Yes? Well, what's to prevent me from leaving you? Wherever you go, Chris, I'll follow. If I can't have you, no one else ever will. Remember, Chris, you're mine. You always will be. <laughs> still see her, Doctor, as she stood there screaming at me. Remember, Chris, you're mine and you always will be. It was a, a shock to suddenly realize that she looked like a cat, an angry cat. Her green eyes, cold and murderous, her long nails digging into my arms, her body tense. For a moment, I, I thought she was going to scratch my eyes out. Yes, Rana did look like that when she was in a rage. Hmm. What happened after that night, Mr. Arnold? I stopped speaking to Rana. We lived in the same apartment, but that was all. Weeks passed, and Rana waited for me to come around as she felt certain I would. Yes. She had all the patience of a cat playing with a mouse. But when a month had passed and I still refused to talk to her, she made an attempt to win me back. It happened one night as we were driving to this house. Why are you slowing down, Rana? I want to talk to you, Chris, and I can't talk to you while I'm driving. There's no point in your stopping. We have nothing to say to each other. Oh, but we do, darling. Chris, we could be so happy together if you wanted to. You know how much I love you. It's a possessive love that smothers me to death. Chris, you know that isn't true. I could make you happy if you'd only let me. Oh, please don't turn away from me, Chris. I'll do anything to make you happy. Anything. Anything? And you can give me a divorce. So you're still thinking of her, hoping I'll give you a divorce so you can marry her. Well, I won't. Do you hear? I won't. I think we'd better be moving along. Chris, you haven't any right to treat me like this. I'm your wife. Only in the eyes of the law, not in my eyes. I hate you. I hate you! You can't! You almost took out my eyes with those claws of yours. I will scratch your eyes out before I let any other woman have you. You're mine. You always will be. Perhaps this will bring you to your senses. <laughs> Slide over. I'll drive. Very well, Chris. You think you've beaten me, Chris. But you haven't. In the end, you'll come crawling to me. It may take a year, two years, five years. I'll never come crawling to you. Never. But you will, Chris. Jane knows I'll never give you your freedom. In time, she'll marry. And when she does, all the heart will be gone out of you. Then you'll be mine. That'll never happen. But it will, Chris. And deep down in your heart, you know I'm right. 
Jane will never be yours. I'll see to that. You have everything planned perfectly, Rana, don't you? But I have one way of escape from you that you've never thought of. Really? And what way is that? I can escape through death. Death? Yes, Rana. If I should fail to take the curve a hundred yards ahead, we'd plunge off the side of this mountain. Yes, you would. Why not, Rana? You've shown me there's nothing to live for. This at least <gasps> is a clean way out. No! car over the side of the mountain, Doctor. I thought Rana and I were going to our deaths, but fate decreed otherwise. When I recovered consciousness 48 hours later in a hospital, I learned it was only Rana who died. Yes, I recall reading about it in the papers. It was a miracle that you survived. Yes. For weeks, they despaired of saving me. But at the end of eight months, I walked out of that hospital. The police believed my story that it was an accident. And I was free to begin a new life. It was just a week after I was discharged from the hospital that I ran into Jane. Chris! Oh, Chris, it's you. Danny, you always seem to pop up just when I need you most. Chris, you... you look so much older. Are you all right? Well, my heart isn't any too good, but otherwise I'm fine. And seeing you again is just what I need to put me on my feet. These past months must have been so difficult for you. Uh, I don't want to look back to the past, Jane, but only to the future. The future I once hoped we'd share and still do. Two months ago, Doctor, Jane and I became engaged. It was just about that time that I first began to notice that everywhere I went, there always seemed to be a cat following me. Are you sure you weren't imagining it, Mr. Arnold? At first, I thought it was my imagination. But a week after Jane and I became engaged, I was certain I was being followed. Yeah. Uh, tell me, Mr. Arnold, was it always the same cat that followed you? No, no, no. One day it'd be one cat, and another, another day a different one. Oh, I know you must think I'm mad, Doctor. And at the time, I felt I was going mad. That is, until that night. What night, Mr. Arnold? The night I saw her. It happened in this very room six weeks ago. I, I, I had great difficulty in falling asleep that night. Suddenly, the silence was broken by the faint crying of a cat. The crying grew louder. And louder. I lay in the darkness listening, realizing that the cat crying was real, living, and in my room. I could feel my heart pounding as I sat up in bed and looked about my darkened room. And then suddenly I saw her. Two burning green eyes in the darkness. There was no mistaking those eyes. They were runners. I stared into those eyes for what seemed like hours. Then, as though listening to a stranger's voice, I heard myself speak. Rana. It is you, Rana, isn't it? Yes. I'd recognize those green eyes anywhere. So you've come back and in the form I've always thought of you. As a cat. I know why you've come back. It's because of Jane. You always said that if you couldn't have me, no one else could. 
that I was yours and always would be. Well, you're wrong, do you hear? Jane and I are going to be married. You came between us once, but you aren't going to this time. I will marry you, and there's nothing you can do to stop me. You fiend, trying to scratch my eyes out. Well, we'll see about that. There. Perhaps that'll show you that nothing you can do will stop me from marrying her. I know that all those cats that were following me, spying on me, were doing so under your orders. You, you're the queen of the cats. Uh, yes, I should have known. No wonder you always knew where I'd been, who I'd seen. You had your cats spying on me even then. Well, even if you are the queen of the cats, you can't prevent me from marrying Jane. That's a bullet between those green eyes of yours is what's needed. <laughs> I emptied the gun at her, Doctor, and then turned on the lights. There was no sign of her. She'd vanished. All that I found were those six bullet holes in the wall. Tell me, Mr. Arnold, isn't it possible that you only dreamed all that? But actually, you fired the gun in your sleep, and the shots themselves wakened you? I tried to tell myself that, Doctor. But during the nights that followed, I, I knew it was not a dream. For night after night, she appeared in my room. I'd lie awake, waiting to hear her footsteps, her voice. And when she would appear, I'd plead with her to leave me alone. But she'd only stare at me with those burning green eyes, waiting, waiting. I knew she'd never leave me alone as long as I intended to marry Jane... Finally, I could stand it no longer, and I went to see Jane. Chris, this is a surprise. Come in, darling. Thank you, Jane. Oh, well, where have you been keeping yourself this past week? I was beginning to believe I was being jilted. Jane, there's something I want to ask you. Yes, Chris, of course. What is it? I know we set our wedding for next week. But couldn't we put it off for a while? Just a little while. Darling, what is it? There's something wrong. I, I, I know there is. Please tell me. I wish I could, but I can't. Oh, please, Jane, just have faith in me. You know, I, I wouldn't postpone our marriage if I could possibly help it. All right, Chris, I, I do have faith in you. We'll consider our marriage postponed for the time being. The night I put off my marriage to Jane, Doctor, was the first night that Rana didn't appear. And the first night in a week that I'd been able to sleep. You think, Mr. Arnold, that she didn't appear again because you would postpone your marriage to Jane? I and... know it. Weeks went by, weeks in which I was able to sleep soundly without being awakened by her. And I came to think that perhaps it had all been part of a horrible nightmare and that I was over it at last. A week ago, I asked Jane to set the date for our wedding. She did so. And that same day, we took out a marriage license. But that night, she appeared again. Her eyes shining in the dark, cold and murderous. She knew about the license. That's why she returned. And you've seen her again? Yes, yes, every night. She just keeps staring at me with those green eyes, waiting, waiting. She's determined not to give me any rest. I tell myself that I, I mustn't be afraid, but I... I keep hearing her voice over and over. If I can't have you, no one else will. You're mine and you always will be. Oh, Chris, darling, I wish I had known all this before. You feel, Mr. Arnold, that 
Somehow she'll prevent you from marrying Jane. Huh? I, I know I sound mad, but I do. I have a feeling something horrible will happen if I attempt to marry her. Do you still have the marriage license? Yes. Why do you ask? Mr. Arnold, you've reached a crisis in your life. You're faced with fears that are threatening to overwhelm your sanity. The only way for you to challenge your fears is to go through with your marriage to Jane now, tonight. Tonight? Yes. It's quite late, but I'm sure a friend of mine who's a judge will marry you. Uh, get married to tonight? If you hesitate, you're lost. Your only chance is to face your fears. All right, Doctor. All right. Jane, will you marry me tonight? Oh, yes, Chris. Yes. I'm sorry to get you up in the middle of the night, Judge, but for reasons I can't explain, it's important that these two be married tonight. That's quite all right, Doc. Always glad to oblige a friend. Have you got the license and the ring, young man? Uh, uh, yes, sir. Here, here's the license and the ring. Now, young man, if you'll take her right hand. That's it. Now, shall I give you the long ceremony or the short one? The short one, please. Just as you say, young lady. This is the shortest one I've got. Do you, Jane Elliott, take this man to be your lawful wedded husband, to love, honor, and obey as long as ye both shall live? I do. Do you... Christopher Arnold, take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife to love, honor, and cherish as long as you both shall live. <laughs> it's she. It's Rana. Chris, please, it's only a black cat. You mustn't pay any attention of to it. Of course not. Now, it's Rana, I tell you. Look at her eyes. I told you she was trying to prevent my marrying Jane. Well, I'll get rid of her once and for all. Chris, what are you doing with that gun? Put it down. <laughs> ah, she got away. Well, whatever she's gone, I'll find her and kill her. Chris! Chris, come back! Where can he be? Now, Jane, he can't be far off. We'll find him. Oh. Listen. Doctor, that must be Chris firing that gun. Come on. Those shots came from close by. Hurry! Hurry! We, we better take it easy now, Doc. It's pretty dark out here. Wait a moment now. Light my cigarette lighter. Doc! Look, a dead cat! Yes. We shot through the head. So look. There's another one that's been shot to death. Neither one of them is the, the black cat. Say, Doc, isn't that a body over there? Chris! No, Jane, you stay with the judge while I look. All right, Doctor. There, there, miss. You, you mustn't cry. This never would have happened if, if I hadn't agreed to bury him. He was afraid. So afraid. Doc, is it... Arnold? Yes. Yes, it's he. He's dead, isn't he? I can see it in your face. Yes, Jen. He's dead. But, Doc, what happened to him? He's been clawed to bits, as if by hundreds of cats. <gasps> and most horrible of all, his eyes have been scratched out. <laughs> 
This is the mysterious traveler again. Have you enjoyed our little trip into the life, or should I say, death of a frightened man? Strangely enough, two days later at Chris Arnold's funeral, just as the coffin was being lowered into the grave, the mourners suddenly noticed a black cat with green eyes sitting on the edge of the grave, quietly licking its paws. Uh, by the way, uh, I trust you haven't a cat in your home, uh, particularly a black one. I, uh, I once knew a woman, uh, she's dead now, who had a... Uh, you're getting off at the next stop, huh? I'm sorry. <laughs> Perhaps you'll join me again soon. I take this same train every week at the same time. You have just heard Chapter 31 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, Queen of the Cats, Stotts Cotsworth played Chris, Sarah Burton played Rana, and Sandra Gould played Jane. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. And original music was played by Doc Whipple. The entire production was under the direction of Jock McGregor. Listen next week to a tale titled Broadway, Here I Come. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual from the WOR Studios in New York. It is presented over most of these stations every Sunday afternoon at half past three. This is Mutual. join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. Where are we going? Why, we're going to follow the adventures of a man who thought he could commit murder and escape punishment. I call the story, Death Laughs Last. It was while I was practicing medicine in an eastern city that Edward Harrison brought his wife Mary to me for an examination. I could see at a glance that she was dangerously ill. 
When I had finished my examination, however, I tried to conceal her true condition from her till I had a chance to speak privately to her husband. It, it isn't anything serious, is it, Dr. Smith? Oh, please tell me that it isn't. Well, I'm afraid it's too soon to say, Mrs. Harrison. Until the X-ray plates are ready, I can't say yes or no. But... Now your husband is waiting outside. He's probably beginning to worry, so... Uh... Oh, yes, of course. Here's your wife, Mr. Harrison. You must have thought I'd kidnapped her. No, but I was getting a little worried, Doctor. I, uh, I hope you didn't find anything very wrong. Well, I took several X-rays, but uh, I won't be able to tell much until they're developed. Uh, I'd like your wife to come back uh, day after tomorrow, if she can. Of course, Doctor. What time would be the best? Well, any time that's convenient to you. Now, I'll write out a prescription your husband can have filled. Will you uh, step in for a moment, Mr. Harrison? Sure thing. Within a moment, Mary. Of course, darling. Sit down, won't you, Mr. Harrison? All right. Now, what is it, Doctor? Mr. Harrison, your wife is dangerously ill. That's, uh, does that mean she's going to... To die. Your only hope is a brain operation. A very difficult and delicate operation. Without it, well, I could only give her six months, a year at most. No, no, it mustn't be. She's got to have the operation, you hear? I must tell you, Mr. Harrison, that only one man in this country has the necessary skill for the operation your wife needs. He's Dr. Howard Richards, and naturally he's in great demand. His average fee for an operation is about... Fifteen hundred dollars. Fifteen hundred? Well, of course, if you can't afford that, you might consider the circumstances and... No, no, I can afford it. I can afford anything Mary needs. Well, then I'll get in touch with him at once. Yeah, sure. You make the arrangements right away and I'll get a hold of the money. I'll get it to you by tomorrow, sure. off with my coat, will you? Please? Oh, sure, sure, Mary. Yeah. How are you feeling? Oh, much better since Dr. Smith gave me that medicine in his office. Oh, he's a swell doctor. Mm-hmm. He'll fix you up in no time. Did he... Did he tell you anything more, Edward? Uh, not a thing, except that the treatment might take a little time. That's all. A little time? Oh, dear, I hope it won't be too expensive. Your business hasn't been good, and we've used up all the money in our savings account, and... Oh, don't you fret about money. Don't you worry about anything. All right, darling, I won't. Oh, well, aren't you going to take your coat off? No, I... uh, I've got to get the prescription the doctor gave me filled. You just take it easy till I get back. I might stop in at the shop, too. There's something... uh, something I've got to attend to there. I'm Ed Harrison. Oh, yes, Mr. Harrison. Please sit down. <clears throat> I uh, see that you want to borrow $1,500 from us. That's right. Hmm. Unfortunately, the security you offer, your home... Well, what's wrong with it? It's a swell little house, good section, all in good repair. Yes, yes, that's true. But you already have a first and second mortgage on it, totaling $4,000. And, well, I'm, I'm afraid we can't make any further loans. But I've got to have the money. I just got to. I'm sorry to hear that because there's nothing we can do to help you. Nothing we can do.
say you're not employed, Mr. Harrison. No, I own a shop. I'm a locksmith. Mm-hmm. Well, that means you're never certain of your income. If you had a job now, a regular income you could depend on... What are you getting at? You mean you're not going to let me have the money? I certainly wish I could, but under the circumstances... Well, I'm sorry, very sorry, but there's nothing I can do. I'm afraid the collateral you suggest isn't satisfactory, Mr. Harrison. We'd lend you the money if we could, but we just can't. Sorry. But I've got to have it. I've just got to. Sorry. It's to save Mary's life. She'll die if I sorry. don't. And I won't let her die. I won't. Sorry. I, I, sorry. Look, sorry. You must, sorry. Listen. Sorry. You must. Edward, you aren't eating. Oh, and you're so quiet. Dear, is there anything wrong? Well, oh, no, of course not. You're worrying about me, aren't you? Why? No, Mary, I... I was just thinking about making some changes at the shop. And... Darling, you don't have to lie to me. I know I'm not well, but I'm going to get better. Really, I am, I promise. Of course you are. Dr. Smith said so. You're going to be well in no time. No, I've got to go out. I, I have an appointment over the other side of the city with Horace Latimer. He wants to see me about something, uh, something important. <laughs> Edward had no appointment with Horace Latimer, but went to see Horace anyway. For he and Horace had been boyhood friends, and their paths had separated, and Horace had grown wealthy. But in his desperation, Edward Harrison hoped that Horace would remember the past and would lend him the money he'd been trying to raise all day. Horace could spare it easily, but would he? Fifteen hundred? That's rather a lot of money, Ed. I know it is, Horace, but it's for Mary, for an operation. I've got to have it. Uh, yes. Uh, why don't you try the bank? You have a house, a business... I have tried the bank and all the personal loan companies in town. They all turned me down, said the security wasn't good enough. I see. Well, that's too bad. But I don't quite understand why you came to me, Ed. Because we're friends, that's why. Because when we were boys, we agreed that we'd each of us always lend the other a helping hand if we could. Uh, boys don't understand business very well, I'm afraid, Ed. No, I suppose not. They don't understand business. They just understand friendship. You know if I had the money and you needed it, I'd lend it to you in a minute. I don't doubt that at all, Ed. And you can bet I'd lend it to you if I had it. But that's the trouble. I haven't any ready cash. Uh, the income tax, you know, and a couple of shaky investments that I had to bolster up lately. All right, Horace, never mind explaining. I get the idea. You're not going to lend me the money. Oh, really, Ed? I would if I could, but I can't. I, I'm sorry, Save your but sorrow I... for somebody else. I don't need your money, you hear? I'll get it someplace else. Yes, I'll get it. Somehow. <laughs> After he had slammed out of Horace Latimer's expensive home, Edward stood for a moment on the dark street corner, staring back with bitterness in his face. I'm sorry. Yes, you're sorry, and a pig's eye, you're sorry. What a sap I was to think you were a pal of mine. Uh, what's I... that, buddy? 
Oh, was you talking to me? Uh, oh, no, sorry. I, I guess I was thinking out loud. Oh, that's okay. Hey, you got a match? A match? Oh, sure. Yeah. There you go. Thanks. Okay, just hold it like that. Ma make a move and I'll plug you. Gun? Yeah, Why, this you... is a stick-up hold. Your whole hand over your dough and make it fast, see? My dough? <laughs> that's a hot one. I'm out trying to raise money myself. We're both out of luck. I've only got a dollar on me. Take it if you want it anyway. It's more than I could raise. Don't try to kid me. Stand still while I see what you got in your pockets. A wallet. A leather case of some kind. You'll find just one dollar in that wallet. Yeah. A buck. One measly buck. I bet you got a roll hidden in this leather case. It's heavy enough. There's nothing in there but my emergency kit. Yeah, well, I'll just see for myself. Say... Oh, this kid is full of skeleton keys and pick locks and stuff. What are you, anyway, second-story worker? I'm a locksmith and a safe repairman, if it's anything to you. Now, how about taking the dollar and letting me go on my way? I'm in a hurry. Oh, not so fast, pal, not so fast. Now, were you leveling just now when you said you was trying to raise dough? Yeah, I've got to have $1,500 by tomorrow. What's it to you? Oh, you'd be surprised, pal. Okay, I'm putting the gun away, but you ain't leaving yet. Me and you, we're gonna talk business. Because I got a plan that'll get us both all the dough we need. Two more beers, waiter. Coming up. Well, is it a deal on my proposition? I... I... I don't know, Mike. Ah, sure you do. There's nothing to it. You can open locks and safes. I know where there's a house with plenty of dough in it. You and me together, we'll go get it. We'll make a team. Burglary? I've never stolen anything in my life. Listen, you said you needed the dough bad, didn't you? So do I. Plenty bad. You said you'd do anything to get it, didn't you? Yes, yes, I did. And then what are you hanging back for? All you got to do is get the back door opened and the safe. In half an hour, you'll have your 1500 and more. How else are you ever going to get it? Answer me that. I don't know. You're, you're sure the money's there, Mike? Positive. I was casing the joint, looked in the window in time to see the old geezer put a whole roll of bills in a safe that's like a bread box. Ah, you could open it with your teeth. All right, I'll do it. I've got to have the money. I'll go on the job with you. <laughs> shouldn't be doing this. There must be some other way to get the money straight. Uh, don't be a sucker all your life. you got to take what you want in this world. If you don't, you'll never get it. Everybody's a crook of some kind. Take it from me. Well... Get on. Get that door open. we got to get inside before we're spotted. All right. Let me take a second, I think. Yes. There. It's unlocked. Okay. Get inside. The safe's in the library, down this way. Don't make any noise. You're sure there's only two of them in the house? Yeah, the old guy and his butler. Probably both of them deaf as posts. Here's the library. Come on. The safe's behind the picture on the wall. This picture? Yeah, that's it. I'll lift it down. There you are. 
that easy. But I'll have it open inside half an hour. Forty minutes on that thing. It's coming now. There. It's open. About time, too. Now, let's see what's in it. Uh, here's the cash box. Will I open it? There. Look. Dough, cash, Mazuma. What'd I tell you? There must be thousands there. Easy. Come on, we'll count it and divvy it up. No, never mind. Just give me 1500 That's all I want. You can keep the rest. Are you kidding? No, that's all I want. Just the 1500 I need. Okay, it's your funeral. Yeah, here you are. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, $1,500 bills. $1,500? Yeah, for just an hour's work. Easy money, huh? What do you say? We crack a couple more cribs tonight? No, no, I just want to get out of here now and... You get behind this door. I'll take care of it. Jenkins, please help. Uh, what would you expect me to do? Shake his hand? Would you kill him? Yes. I'm an accessory to murder. Let's get out of here. Or do you want to get caught? No, no, of course not. Uh, let's get going. Come on, we can stand still, both of you. I have a gun and I have you covered. The butler. If you move, I'll shoot. I can see you perfectly. He's standing on the stairs. He's got a gun. We caught, we caught. No, not yet, we ain't. Not by an old scarecrow with a rusty horse pistol. Put up your hands. I'm going to call the police. You've done something to the boss. Hey, okay, we'll put up our hands. Fight from me, Will. Oh! Shannon! We gotta get out of here in a hurry. No shots. Okay, here we are. Come on in. But why did you make me come here? Well, can't I go home? You hide me. Come on in. That's better. Now, take off your hat and stay a while. But I can't stay, Mike. My wife, she'll be worrying. Hold to her. You've got other things in your wife to worry about, chum. What do you mean, Mike? I mean the cops. Or have you forgotten you're wanted for murder? No, no, I haven't forgotten. I'll never be able to forget. Why did you kill him? Why? Well, it was either kill them or go to jail. Or would you rather have gone to jail, huh? No, no, but I'm all mixed up. How did I get into this anyway? You needed dough. That's how you got into this. And you got it, so now cut out the sob stuff. Well, why won't you let me go home? Why did you make me come here to your room? You're here so you and me can have a little talk. Kind of a talk. Well, chum, that door and that safe open, you and me got a future together. Oh, I won't do it. I won't. Sure, you can always send a little note to the cops. They'd get you, too. I'd be a long ways off here. You got a sick wife. You can, they say. You You don't think you can pull a job and go on as if nothing had happened? Somebody's always got to get another. I did it only for a minute now, and you can't get out. Wait. I'll have a get it off my chest. Oh, no, you do. You see the second if I talk? Hey, uh, get away, go! You got me into this. You know, let, take that gun away from me. I'll put you out. Oh. Mike. He's dead. I'm going to get away. In the days of horror, he made his way to the street. Thoughts which he could not control round in his head. I mean, they'll hang me. But I had the money. The money to make Mary. Now they'll catch me. They'll hang me. I've got to. Paid for somehow. But if you can't escape, if you're lucky, I need a drink. I've got to have a drink before I go crazy. So Edward Harrison started the street and struggled to control his shaking, his normal, 
He ordered a double whiskey and gulped it. Senses cleared a little. He heard the radio at the end of the bar broadcasting a warning to the city. Attention. The police talk for the following man committed in the Buxton Park. Please make a note of the following man. Say, buddy, what's the radio off for? Because I was D. And I got a knife. I want to hear it. So I'm going to turn it back on again. No, no, you mustn't. But I'm going to. If you try a gun right here under the bar, see what that dirty killer looked like. I repeat, be on tight, lean and wiry, and with reddish brown hair, Buxton Park earlier this evening. Man reported once to him. Now turn you back to our regular night owl program of popular dance tunes. Uh, lean and wiry with reddish brown hair, huh? Well, that ain't you. You're heavy set and blackhead. But for a minute there, you had me going. I was positive you was the killer the way you didn't want me to hear the description. I guess you just jumped me, huh? Well, here, have another drink. On the house. Thanks, thanks. I need some sleep. Yeah, that's what I need. Some sleep. How close he had come to giving himself away. Edward Harrison hurried. Mike, the police were looking for. Not Edward Harrison. And they had. Edward Harrison was safe. His own good luck, Edward was asleep. Quiet and troubled by nightmare. Mary was already preparing breakfast. Good morning, darling. Who? I I was pretty rude. I stopped at the shop. I I was pretty bit a little work. I forgot to watch the time. Oh, and this morning you look terrible. I know. You're worrying about me. Really, I am. Of course you are. I'm going to see to that. What do you think? Dr. Smith called up last night. He wanted to talk to you. Said he had some good news for you. Good news? Yes, but he wouldn't tell me what it was. I don't know why. He asked for you to stop in at his office this morning. I think I know what it is. Yes, sure, I'll go right over and see him. Oh, but darling, you're going to eat breakfast first, aren't you? I'll eat when I get back. I want to see the doctor first. Anyway, I'm not very hungry. Well, all right, Edward. But please hurry back. I want to know what the doctor says, too. Yeah, sure, Mary. I'll be right back. But everything's okay now, darling. Everything's okay. After he left the house, Edward bought a morning paper. Big headlines told of the murders the night before, but he scarcely saw them. His eyes hurried through the story until he found what he was looking for. The news that Mike's body had been found. The butler Mike had shot had given the police Mike's description and then died before he could tell them there was anyone with Mike. So the police had listed Mike's death as a suicide or an accident and closed the case. Edward Harrison was safe. Perfectly safe. Safe. I'm safe. Mike was wrong. Sometimes you can get away with murder and not have to pay anything if you're lucky. And I've been lucky. I've been lucky. When Edward Harrison entered my office, he sat down beside my desk and tossed a folded newspaper into the wastebasket. His expression was that of a man who had just faced disaster and been rescued at the last moment. Good morning, Doctor. Mary said you'd phoned you had good news. Yes, Mr. Harrison, I called you last night after I got in touch with Dr. Richards. I wanted to tell you that he had agreed to operate on your wife. Oh, that's swell, Doctor. And I've got the money right here in my pocket. Money, yes. 
Yes, I was also going to tell you that uh, Dr. Richards had said not to worry about it. You could take as long as you wanted to pay it. As long as I wanted it? Yes. Then, then it wasn't necessary. I didn't have to do it. I didn't have to do I, it. I'm I, afraid I don't understand. I, never mind, Doctor. I, I mean, I've got the money. I want to pay it. He's got to take it right away. Well, what's the matter? What are you looking at me like that for? The operation is going to save Mary's life, isn't it? You said it would. You can go back on your word. You can, do you hear? It's not that, Mr. Harrison. Yes, the operation would save your wife's life, but... Unfortunately, Dr. Richards was the only man in this country able to perform it. Well, so what? He said he'd do it, didn't he? And I've raised the dough to pay him, so what's the hitch? Mr. Harrison, Dr. Richards can't perform the operation now. But you said... He was tragically murdered last night by a burglar who broke into his home in Buxton Park. This is the mysterious traveler again. Did you enjoy our little trip into the life of a man who thought he could make good come out of evil? Poor Edward Harrison. He didn't believe that crime must always be paid for by someone, did he? Uh, what became of him? Well, after his wife died a few months later, he confessed everything to the police. He didn't have anything to live for, poor fellow. But I hope his experience will teach you that crime really doesn't pay. I always say that it... Oh, you're getting off at the next stop. I'm sorry. But perhaps we'll meet again soon. I take this same train every week. You have just heard Chapter 42 of The Mysterious Traveler, our series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In today's story, Death Laughs Last, Philip Clark played Edward Harrison, Carl Emery played Mike, and Elizabeth Morgan played Mary Harrison. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, and original music is played by Henry Silvern. The entire production is under the direction of Jock McGregor. Now, an important message for all of you. This is Jock McGregor speaking. The National War Fund drive begins tomorrow. As you probably know, this fund includes over 22 of the major war relief and service organizations. As the war progresses on all fronts, more and more people will need help. Our armed forces, American prisoners of war, our allies, and people right here at home. And by giving to the National War Fund, you will be helping. Consider just one of the many organizations that the War Fund supports, the USO. More than 3,000 service units are in operation, clubs where our service men and women find recreation, dances, educational activities, reading, writing, and game rooms, and religious council. The USO is responsible for the traveler's aid desks, which help service men make connections and find sleeping accommodations. It operates the lounges in railroad and bus terminals. USO camp shows bring American entertainment to our troops at camps and stations throughout this country and in all the combat zones. Groups who play the jungle circuit in the South Pacific, the desert circuit in North Africa, the grass skirt circuit in the Hawaiian Islands, and the foxhole circuit in combat zones just behind the front line. We can't measure in money the good accomplished by the USO, 
but we can help to continue that good work by giving our money the National War Fund. So when your community war fund or war chest representative calls on you, give and give generously. Listen next time to a tale titled, The Man the Insects Hated. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual from the WOR Studios in New York. Beginning Saturday, October 7th, The Mysterious Traveler will be heard at a new time. It will be presented every Saturday evening at half past ten, Eastern Wartime, over most of these same stations. So remember the new time, 10.30 p.m., Saturdays. This is Mutual. And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. Thank you for listening to Sunday Showcase on the Mutual Audio Network. We invite you to continue the amazing audio tomorrow on Mutual with the Monday Matinee. Our weekly series of dramatic, theatrical, classic, eclectic, and live radio dramas. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed every day for the world's largest curated collection of audio drama. Or find the Monday Matinee feed in your favorite podcast players. See you tomorrow at the matinee, and thanks so much for listening. The Mutual Audio Drama Network, where we listen and imagine together.